Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. And the Lord be with you, everyone. I'd just like to say that a week ago, a week ago today, um, in 1953, I was a young teenager. I was terrified of my own shadow, and yet I had a hunger for the Lord, and I was, I should say, tricked. It was one of those workings of the Holy Spirit that he did in his own sweet way uh, to a meeting, and in that meeting I had the experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon me, and my life was forever changed. The coming of the Holy Spirit or the awakening of my soul to the Holy Spirit that night um, completely wiped out my fears and terrors of people. And within what? That was on Tuesday night in 1953, February 1953. And the following Sunday, I was preaching my first message. Uh, thank God they didn't have tape recorders. But um, I celebrate these many years in which I have been sharing this message of the unconditional love of God. Okay, I want you to continue with me in this story of Ruth. And you will find in chapter 3 and verse 9, and we'll get to how and when she said this, but verse 9, he, that's Boaz, said to Ruth, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Okay, this tiny story that's sandwiched there behind the book of Judges and squashing into 1 Samuel, just these handful of chapters, and yet you have so much there that introduces us to this people, these covenant people called Israel, um, how they lived at their most basic level. That is, you're not dealing here with the likes of Moses or Samuel or Isaiah. You're, you're dealing with, with a peasant family in a village that hardly found a place on the map. And, and these are dirt poor people. And there it is. It's all happening in this simple, of all stories, it's the simplest in terms of being a story. A simple story is the revealing to us of the care and protection and love and commitment of God in his covenant to this people. And we've seen how Naomi the old woman that brought her daughter-in-law back with her from Moab uh, brings back this foreigner and, and introduces her to the way in which the law of the God of covenant looked after the poor. They went out on their hands and knees picking up the grain that the farmers were commanded. If they dropped it, they had to leave it for the poor. And she was led into the fields of a certain man called Boaz. And that was around May um, in Israel, about 1,500 years before Jesus came. If you get yourself inside the head of Ruth, um, you'll look out at these people that she has come to live with 
with, with, with continual amazement. She has come from the most brutal pagan people whose God was the abortion of their babies and uh, murdering their newborn babies. Um, devil always takes the youngest. And that, that was her people, Moab, and she has left that, and she has come, and she has announced her faith in the God of Covenant, the God she meets in Naomi. But now, it, it's continual amazement of how the love of God reaches down into her little insignificant life. It becomes a world of surprise, a world where she is blessed unexpectedly. She would say coincidentally, but she's learning to recognize there are no coincidences with God. God is meeting them and he's caring for them in their poverty. And the center of this story is that one of those coincidences, you know, she goes out to become one of those picking up the grain after the harvesters. She has no idea what she's doing. She has no idea where she's going. She just sort of follows the girls in front of her doing the same thing. And she ends up, by chance, coincidentally, in the fields of this man called Boaz. That's the center of the story. She was led there by the Holy Spirit. And there she finds blessing, she finds favor. And very obviously, the last time we meandered through chapter 2, um, it was very obvious that Boaz was taking a liking to this gal. Um, and we, we saw how they had a lunch picnic together, and, and he favors her in, in many ways. Boaz. Okay, look at this fellow. We've, we've not mentioned him very much. Um, Boaz, the word Boaz, that's the meaning of his name. It, it means strength. Um, strength is in him. Um, but, but really, I mean, underline that word strength. It, it carries with it might and power, stability. So much so that when Solomon built his temple, and there were these great pillars of stone that held up the temple, and he named them, and one of them he named Boaz, because it was a pillar of strength, so that the temple was immovable, because it was held there by this pillar. So that gives you an idea, remembering that the names of these Hebrew people uh, introductions to who they are. They are windows into their character. This, this is him. He, he's a man of strength. But he's a leading man from a leading family in the, the whole of the tribe of Judah. A very important fellow. In fact, it would be, I hesitate because of meanings of words, but I, I would call him a prince. Um, he, he, he held a very, his, his lineage went back to very important persons in the past. And, and so he, here's this person of, of tremendous importance. And, and we're going to find out the purposes of God that end in Jesus are going to happen through him. He's going to be that strong link to Jesus in the most unstable of times. And so he's a wealthy man. And when you stand there in Bethlehem and look at the fields around, he owns a lot of land, lot of land, wealthy fellow. But he's a very godly man too. He's a man of faith. And whenever he opens his mouth in this whole book, from the very time we meet him, he is calling the blessing of God's covenant upon the people who work for him, upon the life uh, of Ruth, and, and so on. It, it's always jumping to his mouth. The, the Lord is blessing you. You are blessed of the Lord. This, this is this man, a man of faith. And so, would you believe it? Would you believe it? 
but he was the brother-in-law of Naomi. See, do you remember when Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they left Bethlehem because there was a famine? And and it says just very casually, when it talks about them leaving there in chapter 1, it says they went out full, which means that Elimelech too was, well, he was in the family. Uh, Boaz was his brother, and and they had money, and so they went out full, meaning in every respect they had enough and to spare when they left. But now Naomi has returned after ten years, and she comes back in poverty. She's lost her husband, she's lost her sons, she's lost everything, and she comes into the village no longer the prosperous wife of a prosperous man but she slinks into the village and she's angry and bitter she's burned out Uh, she's depressed to the max remember that and now they come back to their property now we've mentioned this before let me really mention it here property in the land of Israel right through the Old Testament property that is where you lived, your land, it was understood to be a gift of God. And I don't mean that sort of generally where God's been good to you. I mean, if you read the book of Joshua, well, if you go back and read Deuteronomy, this was the anticipation. Their covenant Lord was giving to them a country. And in that country, he was giving land and I mean it was portioned out family by family uh, and and you I say read it in the book of Joshua where, where it was drawn lines from this point to this point it belongs to this family and and, and so his his God's gift and it was given to you to care for but because it was God's gift you could never get rid of it ultimately couldn't just sell it not as we understand that. So there were, there were no realtors in Israel because the land belonged to God and he had given it to specific families so that everybody in Israel had their bit. And you couldn't sell it. And then there was that strange, I say strange because um, to modern ears it makes no sense, but there was the year of Jubilee Um, every 49th coming into 50th year, the year of Jubilee in which everybody came back to where they were, all debts cancelled. And if you were trying to work off a debt by some quasi-slavery, you're free, it's over. And and on, on the dawning of that year, they went through the land shouting, liberty, liberty, freedom to all. And if you had been struck with poverty in those previous years and you had to lease your land to somebody else, you couldn't sell it, you see, but you leased it, but you only leased it until the year of Jubilee. Because on the year of Jubilee, your land came back to you. Whoever you'd leased it to couldn't keep it anymore. They had to give it back. It was God's inheritance that he was now giving to you. Okay, hold that in mind. Naomi comes back and she is dirt poor. The whole family fortune's gone. And so, well, of course, she's very depressed about that and lives in her depression. But remember, they came in, they came over the border in April and in May, the beginning of the barley harvest Ruth goes out to begin collecting whatever she could after the harvest reapers. And that's going to go on through the summer. But old Naomi is looking around. I mean, what what happens after the summer when all the harvests are over and, and we come to the final harvest? And what do we do when the winter months come? There's nothing. We're going to starve. And so she begins to draw up papers. She has got to do the unthinkable. She has got to yield her land to somebody else. 
God's gift, God's inheritance will be taken out of her hands into someone else's and they will pay a lease and she won't see that land in the family until the year of Jubilee and that's a long way away and she probably never will see it. And that's what she's doing. She's in process and it's all part of her depression. She, she's contemplating the winter months and the the, the a little tiny bit of money they had is all going to be gone and, and there's no harvest for Ruth to go and glean after the reapers and so they're left with this they, they, they have got to they've got to get rid of the land okay hold that now Ruth comes back from the fields and, and she's full of all the wonderful things that have happened and the blessings and how she comes back with all this grain and the story of how the owner of all the fields uh, took a special interest in her and Naomi says to her um who, who is this chap uh, who, who is the the owner that you you've uh, seemed to have been very noticed by and she says, his name is Boaz. And old Naomi leaned back and she said, Boaz, Boaz is my brother-in-law. He is the nearest uh, kinsman, the nearest relative to us. And at that point, she began, and, and, and she says it there in chapter 2, um, it, it's just the beginning, it's as if the light is breaking through the clouds, the kindness of God. Who could have arranged this? Who, who could have put this together? And it's as if in her darkness the beginning of faith and hope rises because you see there was a custom in Israel. Okay? This isn't just a, a side note. These customs in Israel give us our Christian vocabulary today. This is certainly one of them. The, the word that we're going to look at, it, it, it dominates the whole Bible and very few people know that this is where it comes from. It was a custom. And, and more than a custom, I should not say that. It was more, it was a law that God's covenant love put in the law in order to look after persons who had fallen on hard times. It was called the law of the Goel, G-O-E-L, and Goel means in English, Redeemer, Redeemer. And what was a Goel, a Redeemer? He had to be a near relative. That is not your 15th cousin twice removed. It meant somebody who was close to you in terms of relationship. Somebody, the same blood flowed through your veins. They were family and the Goel was obligated by covenant that if called upon, he must be the protector of anyone in the family that falls on hard times, or anyone in the family that has been deeply hurt. Your Goel, your nearest kinsman, your closest relative is going to step in and he'll be your protector. He'll be the one who provides for you. He'll be the one who delivers you if that's what it takes. And there was an especial thing there that if you were a widow or an orphan, then all the more the obligation was laid on the Goel to come and look after you. And I said that he was also looked upon as deliverer, savior. Um, and, and don't try and work this out as we look at things today. This is then. Um, if, if anyone in your family had been murdered, there was a violent killing in your family. Well, they didn't have police in the sense we do. 
it fell on the shoulders of the Goel to avenge the blood of the murdered relative. And he would have to go find the murderer and deal with the murderer and avenge the blood. That is what was on the shoulders of the Goel. It was a pretty costly position to have. You put your life on the line, you put all your finances on the line, You've got to go to your closest relative if they ask of you, and you've got to pay their debts, look after them, feed them. And God forbid they should lose their land because the goel, you come in and you would buy their land so it would never be out of the family. To put your life on the line, to go after the person that murdered a relative... And another law that was almost entwined with it, and it is in Ruth, that the close relative would have to marry the widow in order that the name of his brother would not be lost. That's quite a mouthful, you know. Um, (laughs) The Goel. If you're in trouble, especially if you're a widow then you call upon the Goel, and he comes to help you. Well, I mean, are you inside Naomi's mind right now? Well, of all the things, Ruth has been guided right to the field of Boaz, and he doesn't have a real clue of who she is, not really. He picks up a bit here and a bit there. He, he, he's got an interest in her. And, and he's favoring her. And he's telling his reapers, drop stuff on purpose so she can pick it up and take it home. He's a close relative. He's a goel. We are in poverty and I'm already drawing up papers to sell the land. Even Naomi, in her state of dark-mindedness, she can see what's going on here. He already has got a thing for Ruth, and he's our goal, and he's my wealthy brother-in-law. He, under that law of the Goel, would restore her inheritance. He would buy the land and make sure that Naomi would never be without it. It was his right to buy the land, and he would pay off all the debts. And there was that thing in there that he was expected to marry the widow, and to protect the family, provide for the family, And not only pay off all the debts, but then share his wealth with his new bride and the family. Oh, come on. We're talking here of your knight in shining armor, the Goel. He is going to come and save and deliver. He's going to avenge anybody that has hurt you. He's going to restore your fortunes and he's bringing you into the fullest joy of the blessings of covenant life. The Goel, the near kinsman, or the word we translate that into English as Redeemer. That should set your head back. The Bible's full of that word, Redeem, Redemption, Redeemer. It's this word. It's this word. The Goel. It was a covenant responsibility to do this. I, I to us this this is almost quaint. It, it's you know so ancient. We we talk about it with a sort of smile on our face. Isn't that cute? The way well, that wasn't there in those days. This was an obligation. It was bound upon you. It was your honor. The name of the Goel was at stake. If Boaz was declared to be the Goel, then his name, his honor, his status in the village was at stake. He has got to do this. 
He's bound and would do it without a thought. Um, no one would ever consider not being the Goel. That was the glory of the name that he had fulfilled his responsibility as the Goel. If he didn't, if he refused, then it would be shame to his name. Everyone would talk about the shame that he didn't fulfill his obligation. I say it again. This is the meaning of the word redeemer, goel, near kinsman deliverer. And when you say you have been redeemed, it means that a goel has stepped into your life and done all of this. Naomi mulls it over. I, I wonder why she didn't go to her brother-in-law right away. Why, why, why did she work it out to come through Ruth? I, I don't know, and I really don't know. But I, I wonder if it was just pride that... Uh, I'm not going to go to my brother-in-law and tell him I'm, I'm dirt poor, that I'm broke. No. No, we're, I'll just fade off in, into the outskirts of the village. It's been ten years since I saw him, and maybe they hadn't even talked very much at that point. Um, she had just disappeared into the mountains of Moab, and now... She's back, but they're, they're, obviously there's no connection here. And if if I'm reading Naomi right, then there's pride involved here. She's one of those stubborn independents. Go and ask him for help. No way, no way. But Ruth, well, that's a different matter. I can arrange this, especially if he's got his eye on her anyway. And so this night, Naomi sits Ruth down and begins to share with her news that is beyond the comprehension of Ruth. Remember, she comes from a brutal country just over the border in Moab. There'd been nothing like that there. No one cared for anybody. You murdered your children and, and that sort of defined the country. And so... Naomi shared with her. You could say, and it would be very true to say, that Naomi shared the good news. You know, you, you, do you realize when you put your faith in the covenant God of Israel, do you realize what you got yourself into? Do you realize the vastness of the blessings? The good news of this covenant. And she shared with her the goel, the, the obligation that... that our near relative will be the very hands of God's love to us to deliver us and rescue us. Ruth sits with bug eyes. It's hardly believable. Huh. Sitting in their little shack, living on whatever she brought home tonight from the field. And here Naomi is telling her that her boss the one in whose field she had been led to work was really a goel, a near relative, and therefore a redeemer. Huh. And of course, all that was in place before Ruth was even born. Before she was born, that was established by the covenant. That's the way it worked. She knew nothing. She, it was there before she knew about it. She, she came into the land in simplicity saying, I serve the God that I've seen in the family of Naomi. And now she's waking up. This is the benefits. This, this is what it means. She was born outside of it all. But when she came into the covenant and the fullness of the gifts and graces of covenant, Naomi is telling her it's ready to be taken. It's ready. She never dreamt in her wildest dreams as they came across that border back in April. She never would have dreamed that 
the possibility that she would be joined to one of the leading men in the whole tribe of Judah. But it's a big thing. I mean, especially from Ruth's perspective, a foreigner sitting there in poverty with the debtors at the door. And she already knows Naomi's about to sell everything that we have. And the Goel has got to come where we are. He's got to get inside our poverty and assume responsibility for our debts in order to bring us where he is. I mean, this is incredible. A Goel, one like Boaz, a wealthy man, is going to come into this hovel where we live, make it his own, make our position his position, make our debts his debts, make our debtors his debtors, and pay the whole thing off, restore our land, and then marry me? So that all his lands become jointly owned, and I become a princess of the realm? Huh. I mean, that really does take some swallowing. And so, through the summer they go. She continues to glean behind the reapers, and he continues to favor her and keep his eye on her. And it comes now to the end of the harvest. Summer's coming to an end. It's big harvest celebration as they they winnow the the last of the harvest which was out in an open field a sort of tent and there they would put all the grain and they would beat it and so all the chaff would blow away and they would be left with the the wheat or the barley and they would work 24 7 it was they've got to get the harvest in and so Naomi instructs her this night this is it this is this is the last day of the harvest now get you, have a bath and put on your perfume and put on your best clothes and go you down there and go down and you watch where Boaz is winnowing the harvest. He, he's got a pile of stuff, uh, uh, barley and wheat in front of his. And when he's done, he's going to eat and he's going to drink and he's going to be dog tired and he's going to get him a blanket and just roll up over there on the side, out there in the field. And then she gave her the instructions. And so Ruth does. She goes down there to the fields where the final harvest is taking place. And it's into the night. And then they're done. And they, they eat and they drink and back slapping and congratulations. And Boaz goes off to the corner there and drags a blanket and like a cowboy on a Texas plane, he goes to sleep. Huh. And I, Naomi had told her, you go to where he's sleeping and lift up that blanket to expose his feet and go and lay down at his feet and pull the blanket over you. And so she does. And in the night, as I mean, this is in the Bible, you know. You talk about this is my great mini series on television. As he turns over, because he feels there's something at his feet, and he shoots up in bed, and he leans over, and he drags. He says, "Who's there?" And that's when Ruth said. We're in verse 9. That's where we started tonight, isn't it? He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. That was the name given to those who followed the harvest. And she said, This is it. This was, this was the words that you used as you asked for the goel. Spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative a goel, a redeemer. 
She was calling on his name, the name Boaz. And of course, it, it contained within it not only his strength and his might, but it contained within it the fact he was a close relative. And so she was calling upon who he is. And she was saying, cover me, that is, be my protection, be my provision, be my deliverer, be everything that God is toward me. You, you be that with human hands. Put your protective wings over me. Which is exactly the word that Boaz had said to her so many weeks earlier. When he said in verse 12 of chapter 2, May the Lord reward your work, be your wages, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. She is now saying, yes, I'm seeking refuge under his wings, but you are the one that he has provided to be those wings. He immediately knows what she's talking about. And he blesses her. And right there and then he pledges himself, I will be your Goel. But he said there's, there's another one, see. There's another brother that is actually closer to Naomi or to Elimelech, the one who died, is closer than I am. He takes first dibs. And I, I would immediately now say, yes, I will be your Goel, but the other one has first. There's one closer. He has the first obligation. And so I've got to tell him that you have called upon me to be the Redeemer. But if he wants to redeem, then he has to do it because he's ahead of me. So the whole question, does he want the land? Does he want to be the Goel? But of course then there's the question, does he want the woman who goes with it? Does he want to marry Ruth and raise up the name of the dead brother? Uh, does he want to? That is... And so Boaz sends Ruth home with enough food to last them a week. And he goes to the gate of Bethlehem. And the gate is where we would call it the courthouse. That's where all business was done. That's where the elders of the city sat. And so he goes and makes it known this is, this is what it's about. Today, someone is going to be a Goel. I'm willing. But my brother has first rights. And there, the brother walks by and he's called over. Come into the courthouse. Come and sit at the gate of the city. And let, let's do this publicly. And so with an audience, public, Boaz says, Naomi, our sister-in-law, in her poverty has got to sell her land. Are you willing to be the Goel and redeem her land? The man says, sure. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to be said. That's, why not? I mean, I get a whole bunch of land and all I have to do is make sure she's kept okay. Yes, he said, I will be the Goel. And then said Bozo, oh, by the way, along with the land comes Ruth. You know that foreigner, the Moabite. You've got to marry her if you want the land. That's all part of this deal. And the man backs off and said, I, uh, you know, I've just been calculating this. I, 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 I couldn't invest. It would be too costly for me to invest in that land. So I back off. And there, and I'll, I'll tell you just because it's there, it says that the man then took off his shoe and gave it to Boaz. What on earth is that about? It means, and this again was a custom in Israel, that where you put your foot, that is your taking possession of the land. And you'll find it all through the book of Joshua, 
where the Lord says, wherever the sole of your foot shall tread. It meant go and put your foot down. That's the way it comes into English today. Put your foot down. And in putting your foot down, you're claiming this is mine. And if anyone contests, then the putting down of my foot is a war cry. Actually, this expression is used in Israel today in the army for go to war. Uh, It's I put down my foot. I am treading and no one is going to make me retreat. And so if the Goel will take the land, he puts his foot down on the land. If he refuses, he takes off his shoe and gives it to the next guy, saying, my shoe will never walk on that land. I will never lay claim to it. I'll never tread with authority and ownership on it, and I will never walk beside that woman. Hmm. Boaz becomes the Goel. He assumes the debts. He buys the land. But also he falls in step beside Ruth, and he marries her. (laughs) Ha ha. Did Ruth ever, could ever believe not only such, could Naomi have believed it, that now she is swept into the wealth of her brother-in-law through Ruth? But could any of them in their wildest dreams have believed that that little baby they had And then the grandson and the great-grandson and a little kid called David would be born. A direct from Ruth to David. And David became the first great king of Israel. And through David's line came Jesus. Because the Virgin Mary and Joseph, both in wide different genealogy, but they both came from David, so that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, descending from David, and his supposed father, his stepfather, would have been King Joseph in better days. And it all went back to Ruth and Boaz. What a story. What a story. But you see, this word redeemer, this word goel, this near kinsman who will do everything and anything and risk his life on behalf of the one who has lost everything, that became one of God's favorite names. It's incredible. You go, I mean, what, chapter 41 of Isaiah, right through chapter 59. You, you read those chapters, and it, it seems overkill. It, for, for every other verse, God is saying, I am your redeemer. I am redeeming you. He uses his term and describes himself. That God is the redeemer. And in the Psalms, they sing praise to the Lord God, their Redeemer. Oh, yeah. Redeemer is, is uh, it's the favorite name of God. It revealed his heart as a covenant God. And it fits right into who we are. Have you ever looked at it like this? The God's gift to humankind was himself. God, mankind, you and I, we were in creation given an inheritance. We were given, and it was determined in the mind of God before anybody was born, and so it has nothing to do with whether we deserve it or not. God gives it because that's who he is, and that inheritance is God himself. We were not meant just to be, you know, get up in the morning and go to bed and do that until you die. 
We, we were created, it says, in the image of God, in the likeness of God. We were created to live in God's class. And our inheritance is the love of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the power of God, the strength of God. Oh yeah, that was your number one inheritance. That's who you are. You walked as a creature in the earth, but you fellowshiped with God, Creator, who has already given His whole self to you. And, and then, the inheritance, what was the earth? Mankind was, was made to be lords of the earth, lord and lady of the earth, that's who we are. And, and, and therefore, all things are under our, it's our inheritance, you see. Now, understand what happened in the Garden of Eden. Satan comes in and steals our inheritance with deceit lies, clouding our minds with darkness. And the result of that was death. And death uh, at many levels, not only that which happens at the end of life, but, but the absence of life in the midst of life. Death. Satan is called by Jesus, the one who comes to to kill and steal and destroy. He calls him again in John 8. He was a liar from the beginning and he's a murderer from the beginning. And we lost everything. In, in that lie, that massive, deceitful believing, we turned away, from, self-divorced away from God. We believed as final truth the lie and the liar and entered into a hideous relationship with darkness and death. We were his prey. And he took all we had and he adopted the title as the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He's the phony prince. He's the wannabe God. He stole it from mankind. How do we get out of here? That's a big question because we don't even know we're there. We think this is normal. We need a goel, you see. We need a near kinsman. We need a redeemer who will come where we are and avenge our death and go for the murderer and deal with the murderer and restore our inheritance and pay our debts. Do, do you, you see where this is going, don't you? God took this to be his name. I wonder what people understood in the Old Testament. How can God be our near kinsman? How can God be my relative with my blood in his veins? How? how? They seemed they didn't ask the question too much. They just understood he was their redeemer. How would God come and avenge the one that murdered humankind in the Garden of Eden? How would God pay the debts of mankind how would he restore to us the blessings and the joys and the fellowship someone had to come someone who would be none other than God himself who called himself redeemer God would have to come to us but come to us as one of us. Near kinsmen, you understand. He can't come floating as a spirit or a ghost. Can't just say, you know, up there somewhere, God. No, near kinsmen. He's one of the family. He's somebody you have Thanksgiving dinner with. He's close relative. And would have to come with covenant commitment. I think I made that plain. This obligation that was upon the Goel, a covenant commitment. It wasn't a whimsical thing like that first 
Goel who said, I'll take the land but keep the woman. No, 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 no. No. Covenant commitment. The Goel, okay, today we have that, you know, we're, we're the people are living together, which means there's some reason they got together, but neither one of them will ever commit more than today. If I, if I fall out with you, I'll walk out, I'll go away. Covenant, which is behind marriage, means until death do us part. And God's covenant doesn't even have that. He says for everlasting. Joined forever. Not some fickle feeling, not a mood that God's in, but the commitment of his being. God so, in that fashion, so loved us that God himself, the creator, became our near kinsman. He became our Goel. He became our Redeemer. And his name is Jesus. And the wonder I can't get away from it is that Jesus' direct genealogy ends up with Ruth and Boaz way back there, 1,500 years before he was born. The Goel. Do you ever think of Jesus like that? I know many Christians and they are very aware that Jesus is God, Son of God, God from God. But they leave it there. But the wonder of the Christian message is, yes, he is God. But he is God who joined the human family authentically. He's a 100% real human. Yes, he could sit at your Thanksgiving table. One of us. I mean, can I even wrap that around my tongue, let alone my head? Or you could say that he accepted the shoe. Jesus is God saying, I will tread where you tread. I will put my foot down beside you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm your Goel. And all of your debts, all that you have lost, everything the deceiver has taken by my honor, by my name, I deliver you from that. Can, can I grasp it? That God became our Goel in Jesus and he sat where we sat, he got inside that the horror of our darkness and our death, and he faced Satan as one of us, to overcome Satan as us, not only for us, but as us. And to actually take us human and take us out of death, out of darkness. He came where we are to take us to where he is. To live our lives, the Bible says, in heavenly places. He went after our murderer and he stripped that murderer of all authority. He's on death row now, just howling around, but he's done and he's finished at the name Lord Jesus Christ. And he, in his obedience, even to death, wiped out death. Death died in Jesus. Huh. I, I, I'm almost feeling we need another hour on this. In Luke 1, where they are giving praise to God for the coming child, Jesus, it says that God has visited us. And redemption is being accomplished. In Romans 3, it, it tells us that this righteousness, this walking with God, bound as a covenant partner with him, is the gift of God's grace. And it brings redemption, the going away from us of our sins. 
says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Jesus is made to us redemption. And Galatians 3 says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Titus 2 says that he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, every broken, dark lifestyle. What? You're redeemed, it says in Peter, by the precious blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Redeemed? Yeah, that's what this is all about. And I know for some of you, it's the same as Ruth. You have been guided by the Holy Spirit to sit down and you and I visit together. Who on, how on earth do you think you got to be watching this program? You're brought here, not by coincidence, but by the Holy Spirit to hear the message of the Redeemer who sat where you sat that you might now sit where he sits your sins wiped out the curse of the law gone from you redeemed and when i say that i mean we are joined to jesus this isn't just believing about someone who's a long way off i mean in in this ancient story it describes a marriage between ruth and boaz But do you realize that that's the kind of language that's used all through the New Testament to describe our relationship to God through Jesus? It talks about knowing, which is a Bible word from Genesis to Revelation, describing the marriage relationship. We're called the bride of Christ. It means that we are united with Jesus A bond of love, commitment that can never be broken. And in that bond, all that he is and all that he has is now put to us at our account. So the scripture says we are, we, you, are heirs of God. And joint heirs, sharing heirs with Jesus. It means that the authority and honor and glory of his name is shared by you. You. It means that his life is your life. And you stand now with Jesus before the Father. And enjoy the love of the Father even as Jesus does. For this was what the Father was after when he sent Jesus to get you. In Psalm 16 it says, The Lord, the Lord himself is my portion, the portion of my inheritance. Whoever wrote Psalm 16 was saying, The inheritance I have is more than land, although it includes land, but he said, My my inheritance is God himself. That's who you are. And that's the central message of this little book of Ruth. I I urge you to look at all the references to redeem and redemption and redeemer and just let the Holy Spirit explode this in your spirit that you are redeemed for Jesus is your Goel, your near kinsman. He became your near kinsman. Bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh that he might be your redeemer. And that's who you are. See, it's not, it's not something I'm saying, well, if you really work at it, you can get there. I'm not saying this is for the elite company. This is who you are. Sit back in your seat. Take a deep breath and realize that Jesus, you talk about costly, by the shedding of his own blood, it says through that he becomes your redeemer. That's the cost. Well, I'm going to leave it there. May, may the Holy Spirit himself take you into the heart of this and 
as I say, maybe we need another hour on this because there's a lot that needs to be said. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, who is our Redeemer, Lord Jesus Christ, who brings us into fellowship with the redeeming God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Thus may you be blessed this night with the Holy Spirit exciting your heart to the very perimeters of your being. So I bless you because that is the way it is.